0: Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to the book of Genesis once again, Genesis 31. We'll be looking at uh, verses 22 to 42. We'll begin our reading, though, in verse 17 of Genesis 31. you God's holy word. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paran Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac, Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had, and arose and crossed the Euphrates, and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban On the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban, with his kinsmen, pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me? and did not tell me so that i might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre and why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell now you have done foolish foolishly it is in my power to do you harm but the god of your father spoke to me last night saying be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day. The heat consumed me. And the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. We're picking up right where we left off last week here in this passage. Uh, Jacob and his family are on the run. They've fled from Laban. And they're heading for Canaan. You remember there was a lot of tension between Jacob and Laban and his sons. They were jealous of Jacob because he had grown so wealthy uh, while Laban uh, had... Uh, grown in the other direction. He had lost his wealth. The Lord had taken the uh, flocks and herds that belonged to Laban and uh, caused Jacob's um, flocks and herds to multiply. Uh, So they were very bitter about this, seeing Jacob uh, so wealthy and their own father and their own inheritance uh, so poor, uh, so... uh, 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 reduced. Jacob wanted to leave because of this. He was getting um, uh, a sense that they were very displeased with him. His wives agreed. They wanted to leave as well. They realized their father had badly mistreated them, Uh, and so they encouraged Jacob, let's leave. But it was really God that prompted Jacob finally to leave, And make that journey. We're told here God spoke to Jacob. And called him to go to uh, the land that God had promised. To Abraham. uh, And to his descendants. And Jacob obeyed the word of the Lord. He did so though uh, in a a sneaky fashion. uh, At least in, in relation to Laban. He didn't tell Laban what he was doing. It seems he was fearful of Laban. Uh, and so uh, perhaps Jacob's faith is not what it should be yet at this point. He's fearing man, and he uh, sneaks away under cover of darkness, as it were, uh, when Laban wasn't around to see it or to prevent it. But even so, it's obedience that we see here. He obeyed the Lord, Jacob did, And he left, as God told him to, on this journey back home to Canaan. Well, When Laban learned of this, he learned that Jacob was gone uh, with his wives and children and everything they had. Uh, It was three days later, three days after the fact, and uh, Laban was angry. And so he gathered uh, a group of men together uh, to go after Jacob, eventually caught up to him. Uh, Quite a journey it was. He caught up to him in the hill country of Gilead, and he was not coming in peace uh, by all appearances. Uh, It looks like there very well could have been, and possibly would have been, violence if God had not intervened to put a stop to it. God spoke to Laban uh, in a dream. We're told, And he said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. God was warning Laban not to harm Jacob. And he says, don't even say anything to Jacob, good or bad. In other words, God's saying, don't hurt him, don't try to threaten him, don't try to deter him or to get him to go back with you? One interesting thing here is that God protected Jacob in this way, uh, just as he had done for his father and grandfather. God spoke to give this warning to Laban in a dream, and God did the same thing earlier for Abraham and Isaac. He warned their enemies in a dream not to touch them, not to harm them. Why did God do that for all of these patriarchs doing it the same way? Well, it's about, all of this is about God's covenant. This is God. Showing himself to be the protector of his covenant. He intends to bring those promises that he spoke to pass. They're being passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and God is with them all the way, each of them, protecting them, preserving them. He's preserving his covenant. He intends to see it fulfilled. Those promises that he uttered, he will bring them to fulfillment. And he's not going to let any enemy stand in the way of that. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord intervenes in human history to protect his covenant, to bring his promises and his purposes to pass. And that should comfort us, that he's so committed to bringing his promises to fruition. And his plans and purposes were much bigger than these uh, Old Testament figures, the patriarchs, much bigger. The ultimate fulfillment of those old promises of God to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob The ultimate fulfillment is in the coming of the Redeemer, the promised Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. and That's ultimately what God's intervention is all about here, his intervention with all these different enemies. God would not allow his plan of redemption to be hindered or thwarted. No matter how his enemies tried, no matter how they raged, at different points in time in history against his people. We certainly see that all through the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament. Satan and his demons did all they could to thwart the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he came to do. But they could not do a thing to keep him from succeeding in his work. Even when they put him to death, as we read in the New Testament reading a moment ago, that only served to bring about God's will to save us from our sins through Christ and his atoning death. God actually used the raging of his enemies to bring about redemption, God's wonderful plan of redemption. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing for us to realize how committed God is to making sure His promises were fulfilled and salvation was accomplished. And if that's the case with God's plan of redemption, well, then shouldn't you and I also be able to trust God and His providence? For our lives, our short earthly lives, and our needs. He's done all these things to secure your redemption in Christ. Will He not also take care of you and your earthly life and earthly needs? He is trustworthy, He is to be relied upon. When we see this talk uh, between Laban and Jacob, really more of a monologue from Laban, uh, in verses 26 to 30, Jacob must have been uh, a little worried when Laban caught up to him. It seems Jacob was already fearful. Um, and then seeing Laban didn't come alone uh, probably didn't comfort him at all. Uh, Laban had something like a small army of men with him that could have done harm to Jacob. So Jacob was relieved when Laban uh, restrained himself to words. And uh, he gives this speech, but it really is a very sad, pathetic and deceitful speech by Laban here. He acts like a poor victim in this situation one who'd been wronged and uh, wounded and he said to Jacob what have you done you tricked me you carried off my daughters like captives you ran off secretly you deceived me why didn't you tell me so i could have sent you away with joy and singing you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and daughters. Suddenly he acts like the doting father and grandfather, and he never was like that to uh, any, any, uh, any, we never get the sense of that here in the text. But he's putting on an act here. He's trying to uh, tug at Jacob's heartstrings. He says, I would have thrown a big party for you. He's putting on a nice guy act. but Then his true colors come out in verses 28 and 29. He drops his mask, and we see the hostility in his words. He's intimidating Jacob. He says, you have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. Those were his true feelings. He says, basically, I could kill you if I wanted Jacob. And it looks like, judging by all these men he has with him, it looks like that maybe was his plan. Kill Jacob and take his daughters back and grandchildren and possessions. But then he says, Last night the God of your fathers said to me, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. That must have brightened Jacob's eyes to hear that, how God had intervened for him. God, in reality, was the only one keeping Laban from doing harm to Jacob. That says something about Laban. He's not a good guy. He's not a good man. It's no wonder Jacob wanted to get away from him. It's no wonder his own daughters agreed and couldn't wait to get away from this man. But back to his speech here. Notice what he says in verse 30. He says, but why did you steal my gods? That seemed like uh, it came out of left field to Jacob. But just listen to the irony of that question. Why did you steal my gods? (laughs) What kind of gods get stolen? Laban's words show us how foolish idolatry is. And that's the point that Moses, the writer, is wanting to convey and he's wanting to Set that before the people of Israel who are reading this story and learning it. This is ridiculous idolatry. It's so silly. Laban worships gods that can be stolen. How powerless these so called gods are! They can't even protect themselves. Much less protect anyone who worships them. And the point is, these things are nothing, they're worthless. And people who worship idols are just foolish. Thankfully, the Lord is not like this. We see it here as he acts to protect Jacob and his covenant. The Lord is the true God. The Lord is almighty. The Lord is our maker and our protector. He says in Isaiah 43, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. The Lord alone is God. And he alone is the one who protects us and the one who's able to save us and give us eternal life. But Jacob was confused by this question about the stolen gods. He's clueless. He didn't know what Laban was talking about. In verses 31 and 32, he explains his reasons for leaving and he also professes his innocence in the face of this accusation about the stolen gods. In fact, he goes so far as to offer to execute anyone found in possession of those gods. That's how confident he was that none of his people took them. And he wasn't lying, but he was in the dark because he had no idea his wife, Rachel, had taken them. Well, then Jacob offered to let Laban go rooting through everything, all his possessions, and he did. He searched through all the tents, and he found nothing. And that, of course, was because Rachel was sitting on them, on the camel. She said, Father, do not be angry with me. I cannot rise before you. The way of women is upon him. And he respected that and didn't ask her to get down. Of course, it was a lie. Maybe the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Like father, like daughter, she had learned from this master deceiver. And here she deceived him. She might have been a better liar than he was. But her lie worked. Laban didn't press the matter. He didn't check the saddle and didn't find those idols. But it is troubling, it should be troubling to see Rachel protecting these gods like this. Calvin, John Calvin says, it shows how ingrained idolatry was in her. She'd grown up in an idolatrous home. Here she was willing to risk her life to protect these idols, to keep them, to hold on to them. She wasn't willing to let them go, to give them up. And sadly, that's how it is. Very often, usually, with idolatry, in whatever form it takes, it gets a hold of you, it gets ingrained in you. You're unwilling to let go of it. It's just like an addiction. You know, when we give our hearts to something, some created thing, and we worship that thing, it gains a powerful foothold in our lives. That's why Rachel wouldn't let these false gods go. It's also why the Israelites struggled with idolatry all throughout their history. And it's why we struggle with the idol's of our hearts today. Different idols than what they had in those days, but idols indeed. God made us to be worshipers. He made us and wired us in such a way that we will worship something. It is inescapable. The problem is our sinful hearts... Lead us to worship the wrong things. We worship created things rather than the one that we should worship, the transcendent creator, the holy one. And this is shameful. And it is just as ridiculous as it was in those old days to be worshiping these useless non gods. It's shameful. And, of course, it's harmful to us as well, and it will do us harm to all eternity if we don't repent and turn to the Lord for salvation. When we see Jacob's response here, now it's time for Jacob to speak, and he does. He let Laban have it. Once he searched through all the tents and hadn't found these gods, I think Jacob was just emboldened to just let her rip, and he ripped into uh, Laban with 20 years of pent-up frustration. It all came out. He gave him a really good talking to. For all those years of uh, uh, nastiness, and distrust, and deception, Jacob reminded Laban of his own integrity and his honesty and his hard work. And how he took care, such good care, of Laban's flocks. He went way above and beyond his duty as a shepherd. And he maintained his innocence against this accusation that Laban made. And again, he was telling the truth. He had no idea his wife had taken those gods. But Jacob himself, we see here, has grown. He has really grown. He's not the same deceiver that he used to be. He's grown to be a man of integrity. And he'd been faithful to Laban. Even though Laban was not faithful to him, he'd been a rotten cheat to Jacob. And he tells him all this. But the most important part comes in verse 42 where Jacob professes his trust in the Lord. He says, If God had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. Jacob says, You've been terrible to me. You deceived me. You extorted me. You wronged me over and over again. But God has been good to me. God has taken care of me. This is so good to see Jacob here attributing everything that he has to the Lord. His prosperity and his protection. All that he had was from the Lord. It was all of God's grace to him. And he knew it. It's so good to see that. He knew it. He confessed it. He's giving glory to God. So it's sad to see Rachel here, so desperately clinging to her false gods. But in contrast, it's so good to see Jacob here. He's in the best spiritual condition that we've seen him in so far, he's really grown. He's more aware than ever how dependent on God he is. He's aware of God's sovereign care for him and protection. And he's trusting God like never before. And God calls us to be people with that kind of faith. Firm faith in him and growing faith, and a faith that changes our lives. He calls us to turn away from our idols, give them up, forsake them, repudiate them. And he calls us to be people of godliness and integrity in our lives. You know, ultimately, we need to rely on God even for every bit of that. We need to rely on him to make us people like that. It doesn't come naturally. We are not naturally any better than Laban. We need to depend upon God's grace to save us through the blood of Christ, to forgive our sins. And we need him to give us more grace, the grace of His Spirit to change us and to make us into people of godly character and integrity. We are totally dependent on the Lord to work that good work in us. Are you aware of that, of your need for the Lord's grace like that? You are desperately in need of God, and his grace. We all are. So many people are not aware of that and do not confess that. And they go on trusting and worshiping the idols of their hearts to their own destruction instead of trusting in and worshiping the living God. Well, may it not be so for you people. May you, be filled with the knowledge of this glorious God and his Son and his wonderful grace to you. And may that knowledge bring you great comfort and assurance of his grace and growth, growth in godliness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would indeed teach us to trust in you and you alone. We need you so much from the beginning of our days until the very end of them. We are dependent creatures. We need you. We need your grace to save us. We need your spirit to sanctify us. We thank you for your word. It is through your word that you do this great work. You create faith in our hearts where there is none, and then you strengthen it and cause it to grow. And so do that, we pray, even through the word that we've just heard. Write it upon our hearts and carry on your good work that you have begun in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.